thank you for joining me today on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and we've got a great show in store for you today. Thanks to two great guests that I'm very excited to have back with me on the show today. First up, I'm going to get a return visit from PGA Tour Pro Donnie Hammond. Donnie, this is his fourth time joining me here on this show, and what a wonderful friend of the show he's become. He's been spending time this week out at Bay Hill at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. We'll hear, we'll hear what that's been like for him, you know, this being the first tournament, right, since we lost Mr. Palmer last September. We'll also look ahead to the Masters with Donnie, and he'll be along with me here in just a few minutes. Following Donnie, I'll get a return visit from comedian actor Tom Dreesen. I'm sure you remember Tom from his many appearances on and as a fill-in host on both the, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and The Letterman Show. Tom was also the opening act for many years for Frank Sinatra and has been on you know numerous TV shows and in numerous movies as well. He's also been the host at the Bob Hope Desert Classic and hosts his own Celebrity Invitational Tournament as well. He joined us last month on the football side on our show Thursday Night Tailgate and was really great. So I'm looking forward to catching up with Tom here a little bit later on in this half hour. So we've got a lot of great stories to share with you coming your way this morning. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. Next on the tee is sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about the great things they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year, our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay as well. And speaking of great, if you joined me a few weeks ago, you heard about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back on last Black Friday to one of the sensations at this year's PGA Merchandise Show in January. Well, Bradley Converse, the owner of Bradley Putters, like I say, joined me on the show about a month ago, and we're proud to be partnering with him to promote, you know, their unique and outstanding line of putters made from burl wood. And folks, these aren't ornamental putters at all. People are raving about not only the look, but the feel of the Bradley putter. So I'm very excited, looking forward to getting mine. They are custom made based on the shape and the color that you like. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters really is. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Bobby Jones Company. It's time to change things up. The Bobby Jones Spring Collection, it's here. Fresh colors, new additions to that, you know, that are genuinely beautiful to look at. Fantastic looking shirts. Plus, they have the enduring character of the Bobby Jones Company and Mr. Jones himself. From their new polo style shirts, the long sleeve button down shirts, the tech shorts that are ready to hit the links or any warm weather event you might be going to, the Bobby Jones brand will keep you feeling great and looking great, either on the golf course or in the office. And when you place your order, enter the promo code next on the T to get 10% off. So freshen up your wardrobe from an iconic brand, save a little money too. Go to bobbyjones.com. Again, enter the promo code next on the T to get 10% off and to freshen up your look for the spring. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Jesse Ortiz. Like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, you know Jesse has a passion for the game of golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days at Olimar? Well, now he's putting his creativity and innovative designs to work creating great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check them out online at bobbyjonesclubs.com. And folks, you know how we like to keep things on the positive side 
here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach to life and, you know, our mindset when we're out on the golf course. Well, I'm excited to announce a new partnership with our, with the folks over at SyncIt.com. Keep putting the pos- you know, keep putting the positive thoughts in your mind with a great line of shirts and, and hats that they've got over at SyncIt.com. To win any tournament, you gotta sync the final putt, right? Well, wake up every day, right? With the idea that you're gonna finish strong, sync the putt, close the deal, work hard, and get better each and every time. Well, have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you will sync it in life, right? Check, check out their great line, again, of apparel and hats at SyncIt.com and put a positive frame of mind in your mind every time you're out there on the golf course or just out there generally in life. Every week here on Next on the Tee, we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women that are serving in every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world today on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We can't thank all of you for the daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect all of our freedoms and our liberties enough. Thank you so much for doing what you do. We also want to thank our veterans out there for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It's through your collective strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. Folks, I hope you'll join me. If you happen to see a member of our military when you know in your daily lives, when you're out and about, wherever you might be, grocery store, restaurant, airport, please stop for a moment and tell those folks thank you. They should be our true heroes. Thank you so much to our military veterans and our military personnel listening in today. We can't thank you, like I say, can't thank you enough for everything you do for us. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and the great folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an honor for us to have Next on the T as a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Donnie Hammond. Let me give you some further background on Donnie. He was born in Frederick, Maryland, which is in the northern part of Maryland near the Virginia-West Virginia lines. Played his college golf at Jacksonville University, where he was a four-year letterman. As a sophomore, he finished seventh in the 1977 Sun Belt Championship, and as a senior, he won it by six strokes. He would lead Jacksonville University to two Sun Belt Conference Championships. He's a charter member of the Jacksonville University Sports Hall of Fame. Donnie earned his tour card by being a medalist at the 1982 PGA Tour Qualifying Tournament at the TPC in Sawgrass, winning by that, winning in that golf tournament by 14 strokes. He played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 1998. He won twice on the regular tour at the 1986 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic in the 1989 Texas Open, where he came within one stroke of the all-time scoring record, having shot rounds of 65, 64, 65, 64 at Oak Hill. He won once on what was then the Buy.com Tour. We know it now as the Web.com Tour at the 2000 Lakeland Classic. And over the course of Donnie's career, he's had 46 top 10 finishes. And he's made the cut 70% of the time that he's been out there and teed it up. And I'm honored that he is back with me again this morning and next on the tee. Good morning, Donnie. Thanks for coming back on the show. Good morning, Chris. Nice to be with you again. So, Donnie, as you and I were conversing this week, I, you know, I know you've been spending some time over at Bay Hill at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Talk about some of the things you've seen so far over there. Well, the first thing is the course is in absolutely beautiful condition. I don't think I've ever seen the golf course look so great out there. It's just, you know, the rough is really consistent. I was watching guys hit putts yesterday. I was watching Jason Day play a few holes. The greens are absolutely perfect. I bet you could make it from six feet whenever you stood over it. Even with 12 people in your gallery, you could just knock it right in. The greens are so good. Um, you know, the weather's been good this week. I think 
today there's no wind. It's going to be, you know, the leaders are going to tee off in perfect condition. So I think, you know, you're going to see some pretty good scoring today if you tune in this afternoon on NBC. And, you know, Donnie, what's, what's the atmosphere like, you know, again, this is the first, you know, the first tournament since we lost Mr. Palmer last September. What's the atmosphere around with the, with the gallery and the players? Well, I think, you know, I've been looking at a lot of the tweets from the players for the last week or so with, you know, dedicating a lot of their wardrobe and Ricky Fowler with his shoes and a lot of the golf bags. Uh, it seems like kind of a celebration this week to, you know, celebrate what Arnold's done for the game, what he's meant to Bay Hill and the tournament, also the city of Orlando. So I think, you know, the spirits are up this week. Uh, it's, you know, a little bit unfortunate that Sam Saunders, his grandson, missed a cut by a shot. It would have been great to see Sam right there and maybe contend, you know, with 18 to go. But he's going to be great for the tournament. He's just a, you know, super, super young man. And I think, I think the, you know, the tradition here with Arnold is going to continue, hopefully in Orlando for a long time. And Donnie, you know, there, there are some big name players, unfortunately, not in the field this week. And, you know, in the past, you know, the course hasn't always been, you know, popular with a lot of players. It plays pretty tough. I was looking back over the results, you know, year after year, you know, at the, at this event. And, you know, you played in it for a number of years, you know, guys, you know, there'll be some scores, you know, in the middle sixties, upper sixties, but, you know, by and large, generally I see scores, you know, 72, 73, 74, somewhere in that range. Is the course overly difficult or and do you think that keeps some of the players uh, from coming to play in that event? You know, there, I think there is a little something where, you know, they've tried to make Bay Hill really difficult leading. It used to lead up toward the TPC tournament. You know, the trend before U.S. Opens or, or TPCs is to try to get the course similar in difficulty and condition. So it was really tough for a lot of years. I mean, you could see shots into 17, the par three where on Sunday you'd only get 12 or 14 people hit the green. And, you know, it might have had a little bit negative impact on a few of the players, but overall, um, you know, they've had great fields here. Guys just, you know, they kind of set their schedule a lot of times in the beginning of the year, just trying to figure out where to place two or three tournaments, where they're going to travel to, when they want to. And even, you know, with a tournament that, that Arnold is behind, you know, they still some guys that are going to miss the tournament because, they're looking at their schedule and they're trying to peak for Augusta or, you know, certain other tournaments. So it's, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way the game is now. As I was looking back, like I say, over, you know, the many years, you know, that this event has been going on 1991, I said, you finished tied for 24th and 91 with Arnold Palmer, who was 61 at the time. Did you have an occasion? Did you talk to him that year? Did you talk to him about his strong finish, you know, at 61 years old to be in a top 25? I tied Arnold in 91. You did? Jeez, he must have played really good. That, yeah, I, know, I mean, he, he knew that course like the back of his hand, though. We would always see Mr. Palmer on the, on the putting green usually, and we'd, we'd chat there even when he stopped playing the tournament. You could find Arnold on the, on the putting green and have a few words or in the clubhouse afterward. He knew that course. Uh, you know, he did some tweaking over the years to the greens and, some of the fairways in the bunker. So no one knew the course like Arnie and he wanted to make the cut bad all those years when he was in his, in his fifties, you know, he played hard and um, you know, it was, it was a little bit easier back then. You only had maybe 110 players 
and the cut was still, you know, the top 70 in ties. So it wasn't quite as difficult to make the cut as a regular tour event. But still, that was that was one where he wanted to play on Sunday, and he, and he did a lot of times. So, Donnie, as as we look ahead a couple of weeks, you know, to the to the Masters, and and you've shared stories about your experiences there. For for those who may not have heard the story, do you mind sharing the story of your first Masters, which just happened to be, you know, the greatest one in my opinion of all time in 1986? You got to play a practice run, played nine holes with Mr. Palmer there, and you ended up tied for 11th and played in the next to the last group on Sunday. Talk about what it was like for you, your rookie year in 86, or your rookie experience there in 86. Yeah, I think 86, uh, I had won the Bob Hope early in the year, so, you know, I was super excited. I, I started thinking about the Masters like a minute after I made the, the putt in the playoff there at the Hope that I was going to be able to play Augusta that year, so I, I couldn't have been more excited to be there that week, and Tuesday evening, it must have been 5.30 in the evening, I was just finishing up hitting a few putts, getting ready to head back and barbecue chicken, I think, or something at the house. And Mr. Palmer came off the ninth green and kind of nodded over and said, hey, youngster, you want to play nine? And it was just him by himself. So I was able to join Arnie on the back nine there at Augusta. And, you know, it took us two and a half hours to play. He took plenty of time to show me, you know, a lot of the lines off the tee, what to look for, you know, where the pins were going to be there on Thursday or Sunday and, uh, you know, how the course would, um, it would, it would start to get a little harder toward the end of the week if the officials had their way where they could get the greens a little firmer, you know, where to put the ball in certain holes like 14 into the green there, that par four. And it was just a lot of help. And it kind of gave me confidence that, uh, you know, that a player like Arnold that was still trying to be, go out there and win the tournament, make the cut, would take the time to, you know, spend that much uh, effort and try to help me with the golf course. And, you know, I ended up working. I ended up playing really well that week. And, you know, I looked back and kind of saw what a what a benefit that was to, to be able to play those nine holes with Arnold and what a thrill it was. I got a couple of nice pictures that day. And Donnie, one of the things that I don't think TV does justice to is the elevation changes, you know, from tee to green around the golf course. I don't think people generally think of Augusta, Georgia as a hilly area, but you have to be in pretty darn good shape to get around that golf course for, you know, six, seven days, depending on how many days you're going to be there to play practice rounds and that sort of thing. Did the topography of the course surprise you the first time you played? It, yeah, it really did. You know, when I played in 86, I think I had only really seen the back nine on television. They didn't start, you know, the show until the back nine there, usually on CBS. You know, you get to the first hole, you come off the tee, you go straight downhill for about 150 yards, and then you come up the fairway, you know, to get up to where your tee shot is. You can't even see the, the green for, you know, like 100 yards or so until you get up toward the hill. And that was that was a little bit surprising. And then two is straight back down the hill, which is a great, nice, gentle walk down the hill. And then you get a par five that you hopefully can get that shot back that you probably lost on the first hole because of your nerves. So, and then three is the same way. It goes kind of over a small hill, fours downhill. And then six is a beautiful hole. The par three that's down the hill, that's, you know, that's, I think, plays about 12 yards short there of the yardage because of downhill so it's pretty remarkable the, the front nine the, the elevation changes and it's you know anybody gets a chance to go out there walk the front nine first and then see those holes that you uh you know that you've seen the last several years on tv and that's 
a lot of action will happen those first seven holes uh, at Augusta. But it's a, it's just a beautiful piece of property. I mean, you can't. It's hard to think of any ways to really improve the golf course right now. It's just outstanding. Donnie, I don't think people have an appreciation for exactly how hard the 12th hole is. We all saw Jordan, you know, struggle there last year. Describe what it's like trying to figure out that hole with the the swirling winds that you've got to be conscious of, the shallowness of the green. You got the bunker and the obviously Rays Creek short. How how difficult is it to get up there and try to figure out club selection? Well, that that was the key right there. What you said is the swirling winds. If if it's a day like it is in Orlando today and there's no wind, it's a simple little eight or nine iron, even a pitching wedge if the flag's on the front left of the green. But when you get up there and it's kind of swirling off your left and coming back into you a little bit, you know, a lot of times I've seen for the last 10 years, guys will play a little safe left. You know, you have to take it left of the flag there. If it's anywhere around the middle of the green, you have to go a little left. And then they'll get back in that bunker with a, you know, downhill bunker shot or, you know, maybe buried in, in the back lip or something. And then you have to, then you're looking right at Ray's Creek and you're still staring at double bogey. So it's, it's really club selection and you can see the guys take tons of time to, to pull a club there until they're really ready to commit to, to that yardage. And it's, uh, it's a tough hole. You can feel it when you're standing over the shot too. It's kind of like 17 at TPC. You know, right before you pull it back, you kind of, eh, you're still just a little edgy, but just fantastic uh, par three. And speaking of fantastic par threes, you know, and you mentioned the fourth hole, you know, it's a 240 yard par three, a little bit downhill. I don't know how anyone ever makes birdie on that hole. Talk about trying <laughs> to reach that green and get yourself in a position. You know, I think you're happy. If, if you walk off with three, I think you're pretty happy. Yeah, it's it's a long iron. You know, guys guys fire three and four irons into that, and when you're trying to hit a high cut and you look up and it's going a little left, that's not the best thing to see because uh, you know you're going to be 60 or 80 feet from the hole. you got downhill. Uh, actually, a good spot to be is in that bunker just short of the green. If you, if you miss it, catch it a little thin, that's not a bad spot to make par from. I think it's easier than – then over the back of the green that that gets really quick from back there but i was never a fan of you know hitting three irons early in the round like that i usually wasn't that loose or i was still a little jumpy to be pulling out a three iron trying to hit a high cut but it's a tough hole you're i don't think there's ever a day when you make par you're going to be upset on on the fourth in 2015 we saw ben crenshaw say goodbye to being a competitor at the Masters. And I read you went there, to, you went back there to watch that. Why? Yeah, I wanted to see Ben. Ben Ben was a really good friend on the tour for, for a really long time. We played a lot of golf and, um, you know, he was, you know, he meant so much to the game, still does with through his golf course development and the architecture that he's doing, his love of the game, his history of the game. Uh, I was going to be up there for a qualifier for the Champions Tour you know, and I just knew a couple months before that I wanted to be up there on Friday just in case, you know, he missed the cut that Friday. And, you know, to watch him walk the last uh, 18 holes at Augusta as a competitor. Plus his caddy, Carl Jackson, caddied for me for two or three years on the PGA Tour when Ben was uh, kind of cutting back his schedule a little bit on the Champions Tour. And Carl had a lot of good stories when we spent time together on, you know, their years playing the Augusta and 
you know, Carl started caddying there as a young, uh, a young boy. And that's where he met Ben there. And of course there, you know, the history they had there is, is just so sweet winning two tournaments, the one year with, uh, when his mentor Harvey Pennick passed away and, uh, Carl's just a super guy. So really, you know, to be able to see both of them walk the uh, fairways for the last time was, was pretty special and worth the trip for me. Can you share a story or two that uh, Carl shared with you? Yeah, it was, you know, it was, I think the moment, you know, it was really a tough moment when Ben sank the winning putt the second year to win the Masters. And, you know, everybody was watching that tournament knowing that Harvey Pennick had died that week and Ben flew back with Tom Kite for the funeral. And it was just, uh, you know, Carl said, he knew it was really emotional for Ben, but he said, Donnie, it was, it was as emotional for me, you know, a part of his life that was uh, just meant so much to him that they were able to triumph that week under the circumstances. And, and that's, that's the kind of guy Carl is too. He's just super, super caddy and just a, just a great guy. As you talked about, you know, Mr. Palmer sharing some of the, you know, the lines with you and, you know, his experiences playing, playing the, uh, the golf course. Did Carl do the same? Did you pick his brain about some things to, to know and to, to do, not do that sort of thing, you know, and other times that you played at the Masters? Uh, I don't, you know, that's, that's a prob- probably a mistake I didn't really make too much because, well, actually I didn't know Carl that well until after I was done playing Augusta. Uh, I knew him a little bit as kind of just one of the one of the guys, one of the caddies that was caddying for Ben. But he really didn't start working for me until after I was done playing the Masters. But that would have been, you know, great to be able to do. Uh, you know, he's been there for, I don't know, 35 or 40 years walking that golf course. So uh, if anybody gets in the Masters, Carl might even go out there and caddy one week. That would be a great guy to have on the bag if he uh, still no wanted doubt. to do that. But he was great on the golf course in regular tournaments. He was low key and he kind of kept me from uh, getting too far ahead of myself. And we just had a lot of laughs on the golf course. Just a perfect temperament for, for a caddy out on the PJ Tour. Speaking of caddies, Donnie, you know, for you know some guys, you know, you, you always hear, you know, the, the stereotypical phrase, you know, show up, keep up, shut up for the caddy. When you're playing what do you want your caddy to do? Do you, or do you, do you, you know, do you like them to, you know, say things? Do you like to talk to in, in between golf shots? What is it like between you and the caddy when you're actually playing a tournament? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because the, it seems like the role of the caddy has changed a lot in the last five years. Caddies are getting a lot more involved with the better players. You started seeing that with Phil Mickelson 15 years ago where Bones would come in and, you know, actually call him off on a few shots. I think he got, one veto a year where he could call Phil off on shots, but caddies are, are a lot more an integral part of the game now with uh, talking about the yardages and, you know, where we're going to put it, what we're going to aim at. We're aiming at the PJ tour sign with a little cut and we're, you know, let's keep it here and there. And they're directing the player a little more kind of like Spielberg might do in a movie. So it's changed a lot back when I was playing a lot. I wanted the caddy, you know, if we had 170 yards, little left to right wind, I would, I might be between, you know, six iron, seven iron. So you like, you like the seven. And then the caddy would say, 
let's hit a good seven. It'll keep us just short of the hole. And which meant this is you hit seven, you need to go ahead and hit it uh, really firm or else you're not even going to get it, you know, 10 feet short of the hole. But that gives you a good signal that he likes the seven iron, hit it hard, and that'll keep us just short of the hole. Whereas if you hit six iron, you pull out six iron, you might say just a nice little six, just a comfortable one, you know, over the back of the green here kind of slopes off that back. So just nice and comfortable. And then it's kind of, you know, it directs you around the course a little bit, uh, keeps you a little short of the hole, a little left of the hole here and there. And that, you know, helps because the player needs to make the decision and take the shot he hits and what the outcome was, but the caddy, can definitely be a good little um, assistant captain on your ship to keep you going, you know, through the harbor in the right little spot so you don't hit, uh, go aground, so to speak. But uh, so little little things like that. And didn't really have the guys read putts very often. I always took a always a good look at, at putts myself. But there were a couple guys out there that could really read greens that uh, that helped the players a lot. Raymond Floyd had a caddy that uh, was excellent reading greens and it you know Raymond would always take his advice and was was a great putter so it's a lot of different dynamics between the the players and the caddies uh, but they are becoming a lot more important it seems like when you watch the telecast and I talk about you know it's interesting how you described you know their guiding of you on how to, which club to use and how to hit it and that sort of thing the, the words they use I, you know as I've been reading more and more about caddies and we've been blessed to have Dennis Cohn, who's in the Caddy Hall of Fame, you know, on the show several times. He'll he'll be joining me here again in a couple of weeks. But it's you know, it's never as Dennis likes to talk about. You, you never put a negative thought in your player's mind. It's not don't go left, don't hit it here. It's always this is you know, it's always the positive framing of how to do things. Is that is that true for the caddies that you played with? Never give me a negative thought to think about. Always <laughs> give me the positive thought. Absolutely. Uh... Yeah, you look at a hole, you know, you say, yeah, I like it up that right side. I, I like it up that right side. That rough's, rough's real low if we happen to catch it just in the rough or so, you know, because he knows that if you go a little left and it hits on that bank, you're teeing up from the same spot. So, you know, the last thing you want to hear is don't hit it where we did yesterday, boss. Uh, <laughs> we might miss the cut. Yeah, we, we're going to miss the cut if you hit it where we did yesterday. You know, the caddy will say, yeah, I like it up that right side with a three wood. Go ahead and just turn it off that bunker and let it go. And then gives you a good thought like, oh, yeah. Oh, I remember what I did yesterday. Yeah, we don't want to do that. And then you blow it out into the bunker on the right and make bogey anyway. So, yeah, very, <laughs> very fragile situations out there sometimes. Donnie, just a couple more before we let you go. Um for our listeners on the Armed Forces Radio Network, you've gone over to visit our troops in Iraq a couple of times back in 07 and 09. Talk about what those trips were like for you. Just fantastic. That was probably the highlight of, of my golf, being able to visit, you know, the men and women of the military over there while they're away for nine, ten months at a time, maybe even a year. Uh, just fantastic to show up at so many bases that was all in Iraq in 07 and 09. And, um, you know, I was an aviation nut all my life. So we got to fly around in some really cool aircraft too, C one forties and black Hawk helicopters and, um, saw 
Chinooks and a bunch of aircraft going everywhere to see the logistics that was going on. It's amazing how orderly and um, just right on time our military works and how amazing they are. And not to mention fantastic people too. The, the just amazing how many great people we met and you wouldn't think they'd be appreciative of golfers coming over in the middle of a war zone, but they were, you know, they liked it that, that we would take time to come over and visit and give a few lessons. And, you know, we'd get to hold their, their weapons while they would be hitting shots on the range and stuff. So that was pretty cool for us to, you know, get, get some education on all their weaponry and what, you know, what they would do and where they were from. So they had a lot of good swings over there too. They didn't get to play a lot of golf over there, Chris and uh, Iraq, but, but they had little areas where they could hit balls and hit putts and things. And we had a ball. It was, it was a fantastic trip for me both times. Donnie, when, when are we going to see you back out on the champions tour? Well, I'm going to Biloxi here in a qualify. I hopefully go and win that one and then be exempt for a year or so and just play just about every week after that. I'm working on my putting real hard. I'm coming up to Atlanta, actually. I'll be up in your neck of the woods. Uh, the Monday after the Masters is a qualifier up there in the north side of town. So hopefully, if I don't win Biloxi, then I'll try to qualify it up there and, and play up there. So uh, I'm going to go to the Masters on Saturday this year and watch instead of Sunday. That's uh, Sunday will be my practice round. So I'll be out the next two of the next four weeks and hopefully um, have some fun and get in and make some birdies out there. Ah, well, obviously we're pulling hard for you. I'd love to see you when you come up here. So maybe we can put that together. But, um, Donnie, let our listeners know how they can follow you. How can they stay up to date with, you know, where you're at, what you're doing, how things are going for you, whether it's either, you know, online or over social media? Yeah, I do a lot of Twitter these days. I'm, I'm a political junkie, unfortunately, these days in this state of times that we have. But it's at Donnie Hammond, D-O-N-N-I-E, Hammond. Do some golf things, and maybe I'll put a few tips on there, some golf stuff. But it's, yeah, it's just a variety of things. Kind of fun to keep up with current events these days. Well, Donnie, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to come back and be a part of the show. You're always fantastic. I love having you as part of the show. Thank you for being here, Thanks, and uh, hopefully we get the opportunities again. I might have to give you a call if I qualify for Atlanta, see if you're busy that week. The caddy, you remember what I was talking about, caddy? Absolutely. I'll take I'll be glad to carry your bag anytime you want, Donnie. Hey, we get carts on Champions Tour, so <laughs> There you go. I'm in. Yeah. You let me know. All right. All right. Thank nice you, being Donnie. With you. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Donnie. Take care. Best of luck. We'll catch up soon, my friend. Thanks, Chris. Bye bye. That is PGA Tour Pro and hopefully soon back on the P uh, senior PGA the Champions Tour, I should say. Donnie Hammond and boy, Donnie's fantastic. I just love Donnie talking to him and the great stories and memories that he has. And obviously the, you know, particularly at the 86 masters, which is near and dear to my heart. So wishing Donnie good luck, sending him good vibes. I hope you'll join me in that. And hopefully we get uh, Donnie back on the champion store here real soon. All right, before we get to my next guest, Tom Dreesen, I want to remind you about our friends over at Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. If you haven't checked out the Orange Whip you're, and you're looking for a great way to limber up before your rounds, improve your club head speed, or just get your swing back intact for, for those who are still waiting for winter to end, well, then you need to go out and check, check out the Orange Whip and go to orangewhip.com. 
folks, there isn't a better way, I promise you, to loosen up and get prepared for your next round of golf or, like I say, just to get those muscles limbered up. My father, 73 years old, plays five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me get loose before my rounds, improving my club head speed as well. Take a look at what a great training aid that it is. And I wouldn't say it, folks, if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. I also want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean who are making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcasts on their website and their mobile app. You can see us featured there on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcast app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode. It's free. It's got great features that will let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself if you like. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get the app now on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, and you can enjoy more of the podcasts that you love. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is comedian and actor Tom Dreesen. Let me give you some more background on Tom. He's from Harvey, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago where they have a street named after him, oh, by the way. And when you hear the rest of his intro, you're going to understand exactly why. He's made over 500 appearances on television as a stand-up comedian, including being a regular guest and fill-in host on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and also on the, the David Letterman Show as well. He toured as the opening act for Frank Sinatra for many years. You've seen him in other TV shows like Columbo, WKRP in Cincinnati, Murder, She Wrote, and so many more. He's been in movies like Spaceballs, The Rat Pack, Trouble with the Curve. Tom is also an avid golfer and hosts the Tom Dreesen Classic every year. He's been a big part of the Bob Hope Desert Classic for many, many years. He was inducted into the Caddy Hall of Fame in 2009 and was the recipient of the Gene Sarazen Spirit Award. He's a naval veteran and continues to perform for our troops around the world. And in 2005, he received the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, which is given to American immigrants or their children for their significant, their significant excuse me, contribution to our country. We're honored that Tom you know, joined us last month on the football side on Thursday Night Tailgate. It was great having him as a part of that show. And uh, now I'm even more honored that he's joining me here on this side, on the golf side, on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for coming back and being a part of the show. That's the greatest introduction I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so early in the morning, thank you very much. Uh, I enjoyed Donnie Hammond's comments, too. I was, of course, listening uh, and enjoyed his comments. He seems like a great guy. Yes, he is. Donnie is absolutely fantastic. I'll pass that along to him, too. Thank you, Tom. So Yeah, Dennis Cohn Tom, uh, put me... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, oh, please. I would say being in the Caddy Hall of Fame is kind of interesting. I've written... I caddied as a boy, you know, for years on the south side of Chicago at Ravislow Country Club. And, uh, and uh, Dennis Cohn got me inducted into the uh, Caddy Hall of Fame. And now, uh, like this morning, I'll be playing golf at my country club, and I, I let all the caddies know that I'm in the Caddy Hall of Fame. So when I say to my caddy, I'll say, what do you think on, on a putt? He'll say, I think it's a, a ball out. I say, no, it's, it's at least a cup out, maybe two. And I got to look it over, and he'll say, no, no. So I say, are you going to argue with a Hall of Fame caddy? You know, And they all get a, they all get a big kick out of it. You know? <laughs> That's great. So, Tom, you've done so much in the entertainment industry. When did, at what point in life did golf become a passion of yours? You talk about catting as a kid. How old were you when you got started? I was like, there was a public course 
uh, not far from where I lived, I had ball hawk. They don't do that anymore. I'd go there ball hawking all the time. You know, you, you wait for someone to hit a ball over the fence, or you'd go in, in, in the out-of-bounds areas, and you'd find balls and then sell them back to the, to the, to the uh, players. And then that's how I got interested. And then I eventually got into the club, and they let me caddy a couple times, and I was like 10 years old, and I was so new at it. And then by the time I was... Uh, 11, I went to a, a club called Cayman Country Club, caddied one year, and then I went from there to Ravislow, where they really had a great caddy program. Every year they sent two kids to the Evans Scholarship, with the Evans Scholarship, they sent two kids to college, you know. And, uh, the top, uh, 150 caddies would go to the banquet and all got gifts according to how you scored that year. What, you know, you, you got, uh, points for excellent, good, fair, or poor. Your, your member graded you after each round. And the top 12 caddies got to, uh, bring their mothers to the banquet and they all got gold watches and it just was a great place to, uh, for me. And, and I'll give you another reason why. I had eight brothers and sisters. We lived in a shack. Five of us slept in one bed. We had no bathtub and no shower and no hot water. It was, a, we were a rat infested, roach infested shack. Uh, both my parents drank heavy. And, uh, so I was on the streets my whole life, shining shoes in taverns, you know, setting pins in bowling alleys, but catting in the summertime. <clears throat> Growing up, all I ever thought about being was a bartender or owning a bar because that's where my father spent all of his money. So I thought they were the richest people in the world and, you know, uh, being behind the bar, they looked like they were, they were like heroes in my neighborhood, you know, tavern owners. When I went to Caddy, out at Ravislow Country Club, all of a sudden I was caddying for Mr. Florsheim and Mr. Mailing and very, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, very successful men and women. And they didn't treat me like a servant. They treated me like a son. And uh, after a couple of years in that environment, I started thinking maybe I could be more than just a bartender. And maybe I could be more than just a tavern owner, you know. Uh, so uh, that environment, changing my environment, uh, really changed my thinking, you know. And uh, and so I attribute so much in my life to my early years in golf, you know, caddying. And Tom, as you mentioned, some of the golf courses in and around Chicago, there's there's so many wonderful golf courses up there. There are even more in Southern California. If 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 I could, you know, wave a wand and say, you know, hey, here's a weekend, a golf lover's weekend, Tom. I'm gonna put you down anywhere you want to play, and you can go tee it up. I know you've got your own your own country club out there, but where where would you choose? to go play golf well you can't beat i've played in the at&t pebble beach every year for like 22 years 23 years and and i can't tell you how excited i am each year to go up there you can't beat a weekend at pebble and spyglass and and uh you know monterey country club these are great golf courses and and especially pebble beach it's like being on hallowed ground you know uh but i'll tell you a course that i really like it is in Lake Tahoe. I played in that tournament for years, you know, the celebrity tournament up there. Years, years ago, I was on the celebrity players tour. It was basketball, baseball, football, hockey, tennis, and show business people that were 10 handicap or below. So it was Johnny Bench, Mike Schmidt, Mario Lemieux, John, An John Elway, uh, Dan Marino, Michael Jordan. We had 42 Hall of Famers. In show business, it was me, Brian Gumbel, Smokey Robinson, um, Matt Lauer played with us sometimes. Um, Eddie Marinaro, Jack Wagner, you know, uh, and that we played like 10 to 12 cities a year and they would pay us. Rick Roden won all the money. He won like $2 million on that tour, but, uh, Lake Tahoe, Edgewood, uh, country club in, uh, Lake Tahoe, every single hole looks like it should be on a postcard. Uh, it's just a, a fabulous golf course. 
And Tom, you know, as I told you on the on the football side, I followed your career, you know, ever since you know you started, you know, joining Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show. Just curious to get your your memories, thoughts of you know you know being with Johnny, being a part of that show, and and what it meant for you in your career. Well, in, in nineteen, I started out in nineteen sixty nine. Uh, with a comedy team. Tim Reed and I were America's first black and white comedy team. History shows we were the last. You know, we wrote a book that's now becoming a movie about our life, about what it was touring the nation as America's first black and white comedy team. There were no comedy clubs in those days, so we worked all black nightclubs in the north and the south and all white nightclubs. And and uh, and what we went through, what we endured, <clears throat> and the friendship that we have to this day. Uh, but the team split up after six years. And in 1975, I, I went out alone as a stand-up comedian. Wherever you went in America, people say, what do you do for a living? You say, I'm a stand-up comedian. The next question out of their mouth was, oh, yeah, have you ever been on Johnny Carson? And if you hadn't been on Johnny Carson in the eyes of America, you just weren't a comedian. You might want to be one or going to be one, but you weren't one now. And so that show, one appearance on that show, and Freddie Prince got a sitcom the next day. I did my first appearance on The Tonight Show, and the following day, CBS signed me to a development deal. A guy from uh, CBS named Lee Curlin was watching the show in New York, and he contacted uh, agents out here and got me signed. It's, it's, it was a powerful show, and the pressure was enormous. You know, 20 million people watched that show that uh, in those days. and I got bumped three times before I finally got on. You know, where you go there and you get put in makeup and they put you in the, in the dressing room and then they bring you down to the green room and you're ready to go on and they ran out of time. That happened to me three times in a row. And the fourth time I was in makeup and Fred DeCordova, the producer, came in and said to me, I got bad news for you. I said, what? He said, you're going on tonight. <laughs> so so <laughs> they, you, you walk out there, <clears throat> you know, you're behind that curtain and... uh and the, the, the Doc Severinsen's playing the, the band. Uh, the, they're playing in commercial break, and the music stops and your heart stops because you're back on the air live. And now you're going to walk out in front of 20 million people, agents and managers watch that show. And my mother had everybody in the old neighborhood watching the show. So if I bombed, I couldn't even go back home. And the pressure <laughs> is enormous. And Johnny introduces you. You walk out there, and the light hits you. You feel like you're in an operating room. You can't see the audience. <laughs> and 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 it worked. I mean, I, I kept getting one laugh after another laugh, and then pretty soon I heard Johnny and Ed McMahon laughing behind me, and I was on a roll. Boy, I was really on a roll. So, And then and I, I, I got like 11 applause when I went back to the curtain. They, Johnny called me back out to take a second bow, and it was it was fun. And my, I, I have never stopped working since. So you mentioned the pressure, and we talk about you know pressure with respect to the game of golf, and you know trying to deal with it and be positive and give yourself positive reinforcement, and then the words that you say to yourself, and all sorts of stuff. But how do you how do you deal? You, you know, I, I can't imagine what the nerves are like as you talk about being in the green room. Now you know, the music ends, and now you know you're about to come out, and then, and then you walk out. What? How do you keep yourself calm and cool, and you know collected, and you know you know, staying in the moment and you know, memorize, you know, staying with your routine and all of that sort of thing when you know what this is going to mean for your career? Well, first of all, you do a whole lot of praying before <laughs> you, <do it. laughs> you say, look, look, God, don't let me forget one line. And let me... But, you know, uh, I, I, once I was on Phil Donahue's show years ago, and it was a very interesting uh, woman said to uh, there was five comedians, and a woman asked a question from the audience. She said, "Do you get nervous when you, are you scared when you go on? Do you get nervous?" 
And I told her, we learned to work scared. You think that pilot that lands at 747 every day, uh, you know, is, is, isn't, isn't getting a little tight. He doesn't come down there whistling Dixie, but you learn to work under those conditions. And that's what you learn to do as an entertainer. You know, you learn to, I mean, acting is a totally different ballgame. Stand up comedy, there's nothing like it in our business. I, I, Frank Sinatra used to say to me, he told, he would tell people, Tommy's got the toughest job in show business. The comedian, he meant the comedian, has the toughest job in show business. The the singer's got an orchestra behind him. He's got a lot of other, he or she's got a lot of other things. The the comedian is naked out there alone walking a tightrope. And, uh, and and so you learn to work under those conditions, you know, um, you know that that you know, and then you know, and, and and you learn how to mask that. The most important thing is have fun. If you're having fun, the audience has fun. I don't care what's going on inside you. I don't care how many, uh, what problems you have in life and you, the divorce you're just going through. When you walk out on stage, you have to look like you're having fun. And if you do have fun, the audience will have fun right back with you. you know? And Tom, you know, getting back to some of the golf things, and you've, you've talked about you know, all the times that you've been out at, at the, the AT&T and you know, a part of the Bob Hope Desert Classic for so many years. Talk about you know, how did you first get involved in, in being a part of being a part of that golf tournament, and you know, what are some of your favorite memories from being there? Well, a couple things. I was touring with Sammy Davis Jr. for three years before I ever toured with Frank Sinatra, and uh, I was touring with Sammy. And Sammy had a golf tournament, a, a pro tournament, the Hartford Sammy Davis Jr. Pro Pro Am up in Hartford, Connecticut, and I hadn't played golf in a long time. And Sammy, you know, and we go on the road. He had he had a golf cart that you could live in. I mean, it had the television, it had a refrigerator. You know, it was like a little a driving apartment. You know, but I would go out with him sometimes <laughs> and just ride around with him. I wasn't playing at the time. A couple of times I was swinging the club, and he said to me one day, "You got a nice swing. Do you play?" And I said, "Well, I played a lot as a kid caddying, but I haven't played in a long time because you know, married with kids and all that stuff." And I was just starting to make it in showbiz. So we got to Phoenix, Arizona to do, uh, we were on tour with Sammy, and Ping had their company there at that time. I go to my dressing room one night, Sammy Davis had bought me a brand new set of Ping Woods and Irons with my name on the bag and everything. And uh, it was right after that, Bob Hope saw me uh, and, uh, on The Tonight Show and contacted me, wanted me to play in the Bob Hope Classic. And so I, that's when I start working on my game. You know, you go let first Bob Hope Classic, and I get there and you get on the tee and... Here's a funny story for you. I had done like two Tonight Shows. So I was just starting to go into business. And I, and I, you get to the Bob Hope Classic. And on the first tee, uh, there was a pro, a celebrity, and uh, and two amateurs. And every foursome, right? So I get to the first tee. And I'm, I'm getting ready to, you know, get all my, get, I get some tees and get the, the uh, green markers and all that stuff. And a guy comes up to me. He's an amateur playing in our group. He said, hi, my name is Hoot McInerney. I said, hi, Hoot. My name is Tom Dreesen. He said, nice to meet you, Tom. Sure hope we get a good celebrity. Last year, we got some guy I never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that was my introduction, right? 
But then you get on the tee and the guy goes, you know, there's 8,000 people out there lining the fairways. And the guy said, ladies and gentlemen, on the tee, comedian Tom Dreesen, and one knee says to the other knee, we don't belong here. What are we doing out there in front of all these people? And so you, you, at that point, you, you you make up your mind, I'm going to work on my game. And that's when I, I started working on it. I played in the Bob Hope Classic for years and um, and met so many wonderful pros that are friends to me for, for this day, you know, including Arnold Palmer, God rest his soul. But uh, Peter Jacobson and I became great friends and Freddie Couples and, and so many of the other pros from playing in that tournament. And then for 18 years, I was master of ceremonies when Bob Hope couldn't do it anymore, you know. So that was really a lot of fun. And they're supposed to be, I mean, they're, they're doing it. They're, they're, it's no longer the Bob Hope, but Phil Mickelson, um, I think it's going to help bring more celebrities into the tournament again this year. And you've talked about, you know, some of the names that you, you know, that were a part of some of these tournaments with you. But, Tom, who, who are some of the, whether it's the tour players or, or the celebrities that you really enjoyed being out and playing around a golf with? Well, you know, you, you can't beat Peter Jacobson. He's just a wonderful, you know, fun guy. I play with Jack Nicholas. You know, I just being with those legends, uh, you know, Lee Trevino, I play with those guys uh, so many different times, being with them. And I always ask advice, you know, and, and, uh, and you can't get better advice than that. I used to take three by five cards with me in my bag. <clears throat> when they give me advice, I'd write it down and I'd put it in the bag, you know. But Peter, Chichi Rodriguez, I mean, they're entertainers as well as great golfers, you know. Uh, Chi-Chi one time was my partner in a tournament, and I didn't play well at all, and he never said a word. And on the 14th hole, Chi-Chi hit a 7-iron and took a little divot. I went over, and I picked up the divot, and I put it down and tamped it down. He said to me, you finally helped the team. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So... Who who are some of the folks that you know you went out there and played with that you know surprised you with? Wow, this guy's actually or gal is actually really good. Oh, I, I mean, I mean, you know, you can't beat um, Jack Wagner. But let me digress a moment. I played with Tiger Woods when he was in college in the Western Open. Wow. And and I uh, and also um, I, I, I've done shows for his foundation. I, I found him fascinating. At when he was at his peak, there was to watch him play was just amazing. I mean. To to in my lifetime, I toured with Frank Sinatra to watch him sing and mesmerize audiences. Sammy Davis Juniors and Arnold Palmer. The many times I, I I stayed at his home in Bay Hill, and I I also performed to be around those those kind of legends that you admired as a kid, you know. But th- that perfection. But when Tiger was at his peak of his game, there was nothing like that. It was an amazing thing to see, you know. Uh, but I'm saying, you, you know that. Amateur golfers, I mean, when you take Jack Wagner, a uh, uh, wonderful uh, celebrity golfer, uh, Rick Roden, um, Mike Schmidt, the baseball player, I thought had one of the most perfect swings I'd ever seen in my life in golf. Uh, Mike has a wonderful golf swing. You know, um, you know I, I, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm babbling here, but I've been playing for so many years and seen so many people, you know, and it's it's always and and I played with the ladies a lot too, you know. And uh, Jamie Farr had the tournament in um, in uh, Toledo, and so I, I played with Nancy Lopez and, and back in those days. And then um, Stacy Lewis, um, you know, currently I, who I think is an incredible golfer. You, know, I love the when you play with women golfers. When I play with the women pros. I start slowing my swing down a little bit. I get my timing better a little bit, you know. Um, 
because you play with the guys, the guy pros, the flat bellies, you know, and they rip, they grip and rip, you know, and and the ladies make that slow turn and still complete the shot, you know, and, and your your tempo uh, takes a little bit of a change, you know. So give me the opposite side of that coin. Were there some, some people that you played with that shouldn't have been allowed to be out there because there's a crowd of people around here and someone could get hurt? Well, I mean, you know, when you say that, the Bob Hope Classic, you know, the people line the fairways. And, uh, you know, one year, President Bush Sr., uh, President Clinton, uh, President Ford, and Bob Hope were in the foursome. And uh, they played nine holes and maybe hit seven people or eight people. Wow. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the round, uh, President Bush Sr. won by 12 stitches. <laughs> that's that's a line I said on stage when I went on stage that night, you know, because everybody knew it. every other hole they were carrying somebody out of the gallery over to the, the emergency tent, you know. <laughs> so if you, if you talked about you know being around Frank Sinatra for so many years. Talk about your relationship with him. Well, you know, I was a Paul Bear at his funeral, and I spoke at his funeral. I, I tour the country now doing a one-man show called An Evening of Laughter and Memories of Sinatra. So it's a 90-minute show of, of stand-up comedy, of course, because that's what I am. But then I segue to a bar, and I, and I tell a funny joke at the bar, and all the lights go out, and Frank comes on the screen singing. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. And I let that mood sit in. It's a saloon song. When it gets to the chorus, make it one for my baby and one more for the road. The light hits me. Now the audience is in a bar with me. And I tell them the first time I heard that voice, I was eight years old, shining shoes in a bar on the south side of Chicago, and he was on the jukebox. Then I take the audience from that little boy hearing Sinatra on the jukebox on the south side of Chicago to one day carrying his coffin out of a church in Beverly Hills. And as I tell stories in the bar, pictures come on the screen authenticating the story and, and also film of Frank and I. And it's a lot of laughs. And then I take him to the funeral where there's a lot of tears. And then I have him laughing again with a big monologue and a closing monologue and and uh, toast them all <clears throat> with Jack Daniels because that was Frank's drink of choice. And I say to them, I wish for all of you what Frank Sinatra wished for you. The very last song he ever sang on stage is that the best is yet to come. And and Frank is singing as they're leaving the theater. The best is yet to come. So it's it's a uh, it, it, when when you watch the show you. It, you see it through the eyes of a little boy from the south side of Chicago who, as I said earlier, grew up in a shack, holes in my shoes, raggedy, you know, high school dropout at 16 and, and went into the service and spent four years in the service and got an education from there. But uh, but m my point of that is, is that I never dreamed that I would be in that rarefied air. And, and to fly with Frank and his jet all over the world for almost 14 years in 45, 50 cities a year and to sit in the wings and watch this grand master, you know, walk out in front of 20,000 people night after night, you know, and, and mesmerize them with his enormous talent, you know. And just to be around him, you know, I stayed at his home six times a year and, and have a friendship. In the beginning, he was like a, like a, a boss. Because, of course, he was the boss, you know. And then we became friends. And then toward the end, he became like a father to me. He'd give me advice and stuff. I miss him every day. And you can't you, you can't help but think about him every day because his music is still everywhere, you know. 
And, and Tom, as you mentioned that show, you know, are you out on the road with that? Where can our, our listeners, you know, p- you know, potentially catch that show or can you know, find a date when it might be at a city near them? You can go to my website, TomDreesen.com. It's D as in David, R-E-E-S-E-N, TomDreesen.com. And uh, it usually tells you where I'm at and stuff. I'm working now on a film, and, I'm, and I've got a lot of things going. I'm also on a TV show. I'm a consultant on a TV show. And then I'm, I'm you know, still doing, um, you know, stand-up comedy all over the country. And I MC corporate events. I do a lot. You know, that's interesting. Golf. At every golf tournament I've ever performed at or played in, they'll always ask the comedian, would you mind getting up and doing a few minutes? And I never mind because in that audience, in most of these golf tournaments, are Fortune 500 companies. And almost invariably, somebody will come up after the show and say, hey, uh, can I get your card or can I get your agent's number or something? Because they have a company that has an awards banquet every year and I MC, you know, corporate events a lot, you know, and, and do a monologue within the confines of the emceeing. So golf is being a poor boy growing up in the south side of Chicago, caddying today has become a lucrative, um, uh, you know, venture for me because of my poor childhood. I now I do a lot of corporate dates that a lot of comedians can't do because of my golf uh, experience, you know. And just a couple more before we let you go, Tom. And, and, as, as you've kind of shared with us, you know, in your, your humble beginnings, if you will, to where you are now. In, in your in your quiet moments, do you ever look back on your life and, 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 and think about, you know, wow, you know, where I started to where I am now. What an amazing, amazing journey it's been for me. Well, <clears throat> I do. And I do all the time. And, and that's why I really appreciate you know, my life today, because I remember that childhood and I remember all the, the hardships and the struggles that I endured. And the book that we wrote, Tim Reed and I wrote, I said in there that it was almost like God said, I'm going to put a load on you the first half of your life. But if you survive, the second half is on me. And it has been the second half, you know, uh, to <clears throat> to be a, a caddy and growing up as poor as I was, and then one day you're playing in the Bob Hope Classic and the AT&T, and, you're, and to admire all those pros all those years, and now today you're playing with these pros. And, and, and the, you know, to hear Frank Sinatra on jukeboxes and, and come fly with me, and now you're flying with him. Um, I pinch myself sometimes. But I also, I thank God every single day of my life. Not a day goes by that I don't thank God because I know how lucky I am. The, to to be where I'm at today. I mean, there's a lot of hard work involved in all that stuff, too. You know, the Lord helps those who help themselves. But, but uh, yeah, I, I am, I'm, I'm, uh, if, if I die tomorrow, the world doesn't owe me a thing. I've had a great life. And, Tom, one last thing, and you, and you, and you mentioned briefly your, your service, and you know our show goes out over the Armed Forces Radio Network. Let our listeners know about you know, your naval career and uh, your continued involvement entertaining our troops. Well, I, I served, a, uh, I was in the Navy four years, and, and I was in a Marine Corps unit for nine months called NEGDF, Naval Emergency Ground Defense Force. We trained at Quonset Point, and I, I served aboard two aircraft carriers, the USS Tarawa and the USS Essex. And, and, uh, I, you know, go every chance I get, I perform for the troops. I'm also at the Gary Sinise Foundation. Gary Sinise, uh, builds smart homes for our kids who lose arms and legs in combat. And, uh, 
you know, and I've worked with Gary. In fact, we're doing another show coming up. I was just with him the other night and uh, talking about what else we're going to do for the troops. So I've been to Iraq. You know, David Letterman and I went over to Iraq and I went to Fallujah and Al-Tagadam and different bases and, and flew in those C-130s and had to do those military takeoffs and military landings. <clears throat> Some of those C-130s I flew in when I was in the service. In fact, I told Letterman when we got on the plane, I found some gum underneath the seat that I thought was mine that I left there when I was in the service, you know. And uh, <laughs> But it, it's it's just a joy. For me, you know, I'm a patriot. I love my country, and I love those men and women in the armed forces that sacrifice so much for us. Freedom isn't free. It, it you Our young people today just simply don't get it, most of our young people today. The young people in the military do. You know, I go to college campuses and things like that, and they haven't got a clue um, that, you know, our World War II veterans are dying at about 1,100 a day. There's very few left. But it, 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 I see these kids, um, they need safe spaces because they, their president didn't get elected. They need a day off from school. I was talking to a group of them the other day, and they they needed some time off of school because who they wanted for president didn't become president. So in a safe space. And I said, how old are you? And this kid said, 19. I said, do you know the grandfathers of this country where they were when they were 19? They were they were on places called Iwo Jima and Normandy and Guadalcanal and places like that. They were 19. And they saw their friends, arms and legs blown off and friends around them die. And not one of them ever asked for a safe space. Do you know if it wasn't for those men and women, you'd be in a concentration camp right now. You know, freedom isn't free. You know, and stop whining because you don't get your way all the time. Go visit our men and women in the armed forces. They leave their families for nine months to a year and, and protect us, you know. Uh, so you got me on a soapbox there. <laughs> but, That's all right. But, uh, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a proud veteran. And I thank all of them for their service, you know, uh, because I think it's now less than 1% of our nation serves in the armed forces. That's less than 1% of our nation serves in the armed forces. So my, I have the highest regard for them. Tom, before we let you go, you've, you've mentioned the book a couple of times, but uh, let our listeners know the name of the book that you've got out there, where they can get it, and then, uh, again, remind them about your site. Well, you can you can go to um, Amazon and get the. It's called Tim and Tom, an American comedy in black and white, uh, and, and you, you can get get it off of Amazon. Um, and they can go to my website, TomDreesen.com. D as in David, R E E S E N. By the way, Tim later became Venus Flytrap on WKRP Cincinnati. He also was on a show called Sister Sister. He played the father. He's been on a lot of sitcoms. He's a great actor and a, and a great friend. So you, I think you'll enjoy the book. The book is, uh, has, has gotten a lot of great reviews, and and and, it, and it's a struggle of of a young black guy and a young white guy who came from the black guy came from the south, an only child, uh, and the white kid grew up on the south side of Chicago with eight brothers and sisters, lived in a shack. Uh, the black guy was a college graduate. The white guy was a high school dropout. How did these two guys ever get together? You'll find out in the book. And what made them decide they should become a comedy team is really interesting as well. And then, and then the struggles and, and the fun that they endured, you know. And Tom, so I, I lied. One last thing. You're from Chicago, and we can't, we can't get off the show without saying, you know, 
How are you still on cloud nine? For, had the Cubs actually won a World <clears throat> Series in your lifetime? Oh my God, I can't tell you. <laughs> I used to do routines about that on the Tonight Show and everything about being a Cub fan. But it's it's it was so exciting. I went to three of the games. By the way, um, uh, I'm going in Chicago. We're going to honor Joe Madden um, in April, April 13th. I'm the master of ceremonies for an event where we're honoring Joe Madden and raise some money for his charity. So it's you know there's nothing like Wrigley Field. You know it's it's just hard to describe. And finally, they won a World Series. We're champions. And 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 I and I'll tell you the truth. When it happened, I couldn't talk for like three minutes. When they finally clinched it, it's hard to describe. And I make my living talking. But all those years, all that abuse that we took from everybody around, we, in good naturedly, we laugh and yeah, and yeah, you're a Cub fan. What do you know? And all that kind of stuff. And we finally did it. The, the, it it's just, it's, you know, you want to run out to your grandfather's grave and, and your aunt Mabel and your, you know, everybody who ever Cub fans, you know, and, and lay a wreath on the grave and say they did it. You went, and they did do that. All over Chicago, people are going to cemeteries, you know, saying to their, their, their deceased father or something, standing by the grave, they said, Dad, they did it. The Cubs won the World Series. Oh my God. 108 year wait. Yeah, with you. I was, I'm a Red Sox fan, so we got to experience so you, the same thing back you've been in there. 2004 and, so we we understand about all of that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's quite it's one quite a thing, and we both have Theo Epstein. One of the guys in the uh, celebrity player store, by the way, was Carlton Fisk, you know, Pudge, and uh, so and 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 Red Sox fans adore him. Right, indeed. And, Tom, and you're right. Theo Epstein is you. the reason that we, we the Theo Epstein is a genius. That you, thank you, Boston, for sending him our way. You know. Oh yeah. Theo Epstein is the greatest general manager in the history of general managers. I mean, I, you know, I think he should, you know, I mean, the Cleveland Indian fans should be trying to figure out a way to pay him a hundred million dollars to come there and be general manager to get, you know, get rid of that, you know, longstanding suffering fans, you know, as well. So wouldn't surprise me if they make a run at Theo. Goodness knows he goes right into the hall of fame. He should be in the hall of fame right now. He shouldn't have to wait. Exactly. Absolutely. Todd, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time this morning. Always, always a thrill to have you as part of the show. Anytime. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Take care, Tom. That is uh, comedian and actor Tom Dreesen, and always a a thrill to get to spend some time with Tom. Such great stories. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode. Before we close up shop, I want to remind you about our friend and PGA uh, professional Jim Estes and the great folks at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a word from Jim about the great work they continue to do. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. 
Yeah, folks, they're doing some amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Kudos to Jim Estes again and, and all the great folks over there. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, everyone, my sincere thanks again to Donnie Hammond and Tom Dreesen for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests, and you can stay up to date with who those are on our website, nextonthetee.net, please go on to our Facebook page, share your comments, let me know that there's a question you'd like me to get on here and ask one of our current, you know, one of our future guests or one of our, you know, the guests that we previously had on. I'll be sure to get that question over to them. We appreciate the input and the feedback. Please also check out our sister show on, you know, on Thursday nights, Thursday night tailgate. Me, my co-host Bob Lazari. That show airs every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. You can also find it obviously on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And uh, that show, like this one, is available as a free podcast on Podbean and on iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday night tailgate, just so you know, you know, we're joined every week by five NFL legends, players, coaches. They come on sharing their stories about their playing days, give us their insights into today's game. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our spotlight on the positive segment. Please tune in and hear, you know, there are 99% of the players in the NFL and as a part of the NFL Alumni Association are doing great things out there in our communities. It's the 1% that you read about uh, on ESPN.com and the other headlines. But please know, the majority of the guys, and by majority, I mean 99% of the guys, are doing great stuff. You can find this show online, like I mentioned, next on the T.net. The other show, Thursday Night Tailgate, is at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free on there as well. And like I say, keep up to date with who some of our future guests are going to be as well. Thank you, folks, for choosing to listen to this show today. We really appreciate it. We know you got thousands of shows and podcasts out there available to listen to. We really appreciate that you're making Next on the Team one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Team with Christmas Carol. Where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors... Media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.